Do you ever want to be a guest on a super cool podcast hosted by a glamorous power couple from their cutting-edge home studio on the outskirts of a major metropolitan world hub? Hollywood, anyone? Us, too. Until then, let's pretend. One of these days, you might get a DM, a PM, an EM, or even a message in a bottle inviting you to join my husband and I for an hour or two in our chat lab, working on solutions for all the world's problems. And when you are invited, there's only one response. Yeah, uh-huh. Listeners, thank you for joining us again on Yeah Aha uh-huh with Lisa and Phil. And this week we are talking to Suzanne Harmon Munson. She is an author, she's a published author. She has done history books. And the history book that we're going to be talking about this week is Jefferson's Godfather, The Man Behind the Man. It's about a man named George With, and he is sort of the man behind. The Constitution, the man behind most of the forefathers of American um, democracy. Is that about right? Was that uh, more or less? <laughs> he, um, and and you can speak more to you his might have credentials. A few more credentials than yeah, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to bury the. I didn't want to bury the lead, but I also didn't want to give everything away. Welcome, Suzanne. Suzanne. I really enjoyed reading (laughs) both of these books. And Mm -hmm. I have to say, I really enjoyed the book about George Witt, Jefferson's godfather, um, the man behind the man. He's like the foremost scholar of colonial times with his students can be counted among the people who signed the Declaration of Independence, attended law school at the College of William and Mary. Tell us a little bit more about the man well i I taught a class uh, about with up at chautauqua and they actually have a a wife lane up there so they up north they pronounce it white so okay and we are northerners that's right well i became interested in his life after reading a book about his death Mm -hmm. And he has the unusual distinction of being the only signer of the Declaration of Independence to be murdered. I think he may have been collateral damage, but there were people in his household who were clearly intended for murder. Mm -hmm. And he had a he was much loved by everyone. And I think he was even loved by the young man who did the murders. But he was his great nephew and had come to live with George With who his mother had wanted to improve his ways, but unfortunately he was a little too far gone mm-hmm. with regard to alcohol and gambling. And mm-hmm. so he found George With's will one day and saw that there were people of color in there and that he, if he survived them, he would receive their. So by this time he was amassing gambling debts and he'd begun stealing from his uh, great uncle. So he put arsenic in the morning coffee, and it did kill one of the people in the will, an African-American boy. It damaged the housekeeper, 
and eventually it killed it, the coffee made its way upstairs and killed with within a week or so right. so that is an unusual distinction that he has but in the course of reading about his death and the trial that followed it i got to understand his legacy and the outstanding things he had done for this country in the early days of our nationhood and so i thought well why uh, don't we know more about this marvelous man and why isn't somebody writing his biography for the present day right how come we haven't heard of him in school at all that's right well Mm -hmm. it's an oversight of history Mm -hmm. and there he's called the forgotten founding father he was a son of the declaration of independence he Mm -hmm. defended the constitution he's the father of american jurisprudence prophet of the american revolution and but he did not have any surviving children to carry on his legacy and he didn't run for public office for high office and he wasn't a general he spent his time as a college professor influencing the next generation of america's leaders mm-hmm. and as a judge and he viewed those two uh, professions as his highest calling mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. at the time virginia was actually more important than the United States in his mind, because the United States was still very young and untried and court system was, was new. And so Mm -hmm. his position as a Virginia state judge was considered very influential at the time. Mm -hmm. And he never had, he, he held high public office in Virginia, but he never wanted to run for national office. He had Mm -hmm. um, decided what his goals were here in Virginia. So he had a humility about him, I suppose, in that he was, he educate. you know, he was the teacher of people like Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Yes. He taught uh, several young men in his home, his, in his law office at home. And one of those was Thomas Jefferson. This was before he became a college law professor. He was the first uh, law professor in America. Mm-hmm. And only the second in the English-speaking world. Hmm. And he also mentored Henry Clay, one of the great America's greatest statesmen, mm-hmm. um, at home. And uh, this time he was in Richmond. And then he taught Chief Justice John Marshall in his law school, who went mm-hmm. on to become uh, one of the most influential chief justices in American history. Yeah, and a whole legion of other leaders, secretaries mm-hmm. of state, uh, attorneys general other Supreme Court justices, foreign uh, ambassadors, mm-hmm. vice presidents. James and he Madison. influenced not only Jefferson, but indirectly through Jefferson's mentorship, he influenced two, several other presidents, Madison and Monroe. Right. And in your book, you do mention that uh, his influence, I mean, the amount of praise and reverence that his students had for him was so intense that they would name their children after him. You know, in Virginia, there are a number of people with George With Stewart, Joe George With Miller, you know, that type of thing. The reverence they had for him was almost beyond reproach. And your book very much portrays that sense of reverence they had. So. Yes, they did. He was revered as a man of very high moral character. But not only that, he was a, a gentleman and a gentle man. He was mm-hmm. he was also strong. He 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 had strong mm-hmm. opinions, mm-hmm. but uh, he was the quintessential Virginia gentleman. 
and uh, he was a humanitarian. He freed his slaves. He was the only Virginia signer of the Declaration of Independence to free his slaves. Mm-hmm. And he was an abolitionist, and he preached anti-slavery to his law students, and they, many of them were affected by it. One of the things that struck me from, in reading your book is when Jefferson, his first draft, the Declaration of Independence included language about freeing uh, slaves. And he was so compelled to share that with, with his mentor to prove that that was his intent originally. And then he revised it afterwards to what you know it eventually was. Peer pressure, I'm guessing. Yes. There was anti-slavery rhetoric in his one of his first drafts of the Declaration. He blamed King George of England and the English, in part, for the practice of slavery, for bringing it to America. And so the these remarks were deleted by more senior members. Jefferson was only 33 at the time, and mm-hmm. more senior members realized that they had to have the buy-in of Southern states for the revolution to be successful. Mm. So uh, they had to stay very far away from any mention of slavery. And also that influenced his wording in Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. The original wording, or the wording that came from an English philosopher was life, Mm. liberty, and the ability to hold property. Mm. And that um, property word was loaded. So yeah. that was eliminated. Yeah, because the the vote was tied to property ownership at that time, correct? Or am I getting that wrong? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it, it wasn't just slaves who couldn't vote. Anybody who didn't own property couldn't vote. De- depending on the state that you live oh, in. okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think that was true for a while in Virginia. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to recall the mm-hmm. quote where mm-hmm. he talked about the the toxicity of King George, but mm. oh well. But let's talk a little bit about George With's Professor With's accomplishments. In preparation for this, you very much wanted to make sure that that was that's kind of what we stressed because, as Lisa alluded to, it's not that he was never mentioned. I had very good teachers, you know, in high mm. school. I'm sure that. That he was mentioned. I'm pretty sure but, we didn't really cover much of this at all in my schools. But you went to a slightly better school system, right? But, than I did. But, but people should know. People should know the influence yeah. that mm-hmm. he had over his pupils, who became the man who shaped the country. You know that we know today. So mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit. That's about right. Mm-hmm. Well, his uh, name is not on uh, America's first religious liberty law. Thomas Jefferson, his student, claimed full credit for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just one one thing that he was involved in that he didn't give, get credit for. He and Jefferson were the remaining two members of a five-member committee charged with revising Virginia's legal code between 1777 and 1779. Mm-hmm. And America's first religious freedom law was an outgrowth of that. And that was, they they devised that law in partnership and presented it together to the Virginia legislature. Jefferson Mm -hmm. did write the final draft. He was a better writer than With, Mm -hmm. very eloquent writer. And he learned to write under George With, the wonderful Mm -hmm. education that he received in the humanities as a student of With's. But but he, he claimed, Jefferson claimed on his tombstone, the 
full authorship of that law. But I think he got well, but, his ideas from other people. And and on that one, I kind of wondered, he listed it as an accomplishment of his. But were there other accomplishments he listed where he added other people or were they just things that he did? Because Jefferson, obviously uh, Jefferson did nothing in a vacuum. No, no, no. No, he, uh, no, he listed so, only three things on his tombstone that okay. he wanted to be remembered for. He did mm-hmm. not list uh, president of the United States or ambassador mm-hmm. to France or vice president and or governor of Virginia or any of those things. Right. He um, only listed three things. And one was author of the Declaration of Independence. Second was author of America's first of the Virginia statute for religious freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, third, father of the University of Virginia. Now, of those three things, well, in, in my book, I mm-hmm. trace uh, with George With's mind behind each of those accomplishments. The University of Virginia Absolutely. was modeled in large part on Jefferson's very favorable, favorable experience that he had a, as a student in Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. And the Declaration and Supreme Court, the late Supreme Court Justice Lewis Powell called mm-hmm. George With the godfather of the Declaration of Independence because of his mentorship of Jefferson, he actually helped write a precursor to the Declaration, and he helped organize the legal brief, the second section of the Declaration, which was the list of grievances against King George III. He helped organize that list. Now, but is of that course, how... Oh, sorry, go ahead. All that's been forgotten in history. Is that P-O-W-E-L-L, George Powell, or Mr. Powell? Louis F. Powell, Jr., Okay, so, but I mean, it was spelled, my maiden name is Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L. Correct. Uh-huh. Okay, so I know that they've, tr- they've traced my genealogy back to, I'd have to look at the, you know, the, the documentation, but, so I just wonder if maybe that isn't a distant relative. Could be. Could be. Powell uh-huh. is a very good name. There's lots yeah. of, lots of leaders in the Powell family. Mm-hmm. So I also thought it was interesting that... His pupils insisted that his name be listed at the top, at, at the top of the Declaration of Independence. The uh, other Virginia signers of the Declaration, mm-hmm. who were all, you know, esteemed representatives of the government, mm-hmm. uh, some of them were in Philadelphia at the time of the the issuance of the declaration and signed it then Mm -hmm. Uh, with was not there. He didn't come up to Philadelphia till August. So they left the top place on the Mm -hmm. declaration for his signature above Thomas Jefferson's. He was the senior statesman. He was 50 Mm -hmm. and Jefferson was only 33 and was not as well known at the time. Of Mm -hmm. course, his time would come later. Yeah. But yes, that was a place of honor that was accorded to George with. Right. And that speaks, again, to the reverence that they had for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, we're talking about the Declaration of Independence. Let's roll it back a little bit. And Lisa and I have been to Williamsburg, and mm-hmm. I would recommend it to anybody. I don't want this is not going to be like a travelogue for Williamsburg, but mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we really enjoyed it. It's almost like uh, I don't want to say it's like it was one. not even it, I. To me, it's like going home. I felt at home there. Yeah. Like it was some pl- like it was some place mm-hmm. that was uh, intrinsic to yeah. me. That you know, as an American, mm-hmm. you get that feeling when you're there. Yeah. That, that is and Philip is more of a history buff than I am, but I did not find it dry or dull. <laughs> no. So. And uh, but <laughs> in any way, as as a non 
historical person. They did a really good job there. It's something that you, you can find something to enjoy. Right. And one of Regardless. the first mm-hmm. homes that was mm-hmm. excavated, I believe, by Rockefeller mm-hmm. in conjunction with Goodwin in the early 20s or, or late 1910s was the George Fifth House. <laughs> so his presence is definitely very prominent there. If you go there, you will be exposed to his spirit or his presence for sure. But how did he get there? How did he get to that point? How did his journey take him from, you know, young man to this statesman, uh, scholar? Well, he was born not too far from Williamsburg in what is present day Hampton, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And he was born on the family farm or some call it Mm -hmm. a plantation. And uh, his ancestors had been there for for a number of generations and, and were pillars of the community. And so he was the second son. He did not inherit the farm. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had to find a living doing something else. And at that time, there were very few options for the the gentleman class, shall we say, at Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. You could be a lawyer, possibly a doctor. If there had been a military, you could go into that. But the usual option was become a clergyman. Mm -hmm. And if you were an educated person. And so he decided to study law and he was sent to a place south of Richmond to study with his uncle. He did not mm-hmm. learn much from his uncle. Uh, his uncle didn't take time to teach him, mm-hmm. but just gave him a lot of routine work to do. Mm-hmm. So at that point, he realized that he, if he was ever going to learn anything, he'd have to teach himself. And he became one of um, America's greatest self-taught scholars. Now, he had learned at his mother's knee. His mother was of Quaker heritage, mm-hmm. and the Quakers educated their girls as well as their boys. She yeah. had studied Latin and Greek. And so she instructed mm-hmm. her son, George, in those languages and in mathematics and other subjects to get him started. And uh, he became went on to become one of America's greatest classical scholars, all self-taught. Mm-hmm. And so he, after that, he got his law degree and he went to Fredericksburg, Virginia. And at that time, he met, he fell in love with the daughter of his law partner, married her, but she died Eight months later, we're not quite sure of what um, Mm -hmm. women didn't last very long in those days. Mm -hmm. And he left Fredericksburg for Williamsburg. He became involved in the legislature in Williamsburg and began to get, he became a successful lawyer as time went on because of his excellent skills and his work ethic. Mm -hmm. So after about seven years of bachelorhood, he married a young girl whose father was an architect, and he gave them what is now known as the George Withouse, beautiful brick for life tenancy. And if they had had children, I think the house would have gone down through their children, but they had a child who died in infancy. So, mm-hmm. so we hear. So when, so George With made Williamsburg his home for his middle years, it was very successful there as a lawyer and as mm-hmm. a college professor. And then his duties as a judge became too burdensome for him. He was trying to juggle that career in Richmond. So he moved to Richmond for the last 20-some years of his life, and that's where he died. But in Williamsburg, he served a number of different roles. Was He's the president of the College of William & Mary, right? So- no, he was um, 
the dean of the law school. Dean of the law school. Okay. He was the, America's first professor of law. And he belonged to the House of Burgesses? He was clerk of the House of Burgesses, and he was a speaker of what morphed into the Virginia House of Delegates. Okay. And he was acquainted or personally, he had a relationship with Governor Fouquier? Fauquier. 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 <laughs> okay. And he was, yeah, the, the, the English governor before the uh, revolution, Virginia? right? Virginia. Yeah, yeah, Virginia. So, and, and I thought it was interesting that you talked about him, about the governor, that he was considered a just ruler in, in many regards. He was not a, you know, he was not a hammer of the monarchy. He uh, would sometimes even side with colonials with uh, in disputes against Englishmen. So, what kind of opinion did With have of Fauquier? With was the um, unofficial advisor to not only Governor Fauquier, but several of the colonial governors. Mm -hmm. Whenever they Mm -hmm. wanted to know what the people were thinking, they would go to George With and he would advise them. Mm -hmm. And also he was a senior official in the Virginia legislature and as such had the ear of the highest authorities. Toward the end, as we got towards revolution, some of the governors, the English governors, were very unpopular, mm-hmm. and they they weren't of the best caliber. But you have to remember that in, in those days, there weren't that many highly educated people in Williamsburg, mm-hmm. even though it was the capital. Mm-hmm. And so Governor Fauquier was a very sophisticated man from the continent, from and England, and um, he gathered at his ta- at his dinner table the most interesting people he could find mm-hmm. in in Williamsburg. And after a while, that was became a party of four. Mm-hmm. It became George With, it became uh, a young professor, William Small at the College of William and Mary. And William Small brought in young Thomas Jefferson, who probably started there at age 17, dining with the governor and the two other excellent adults. Mm-hmm. And so they, you might ask why Jefferson was invited as as a 17-year-old, it's highly unusual. And one reason is that he could play a mean fiddle. The violin was the party instrument of the day. Mm-hmm. And if you could help provide entertainment, you were in demand. He studied, you can tell your children to practice makes perfect and it leads to good networking. Mm-hmm. He practiced the violin three hours a day. And during this time, Jefferson uh, watched George With and the other adults and learned from them. And he wrote later that he could have gone down a different path. He could have easily gone the way of other Virginia planters' sons who drank a lot, gambled a lot, would be hanging out at the racetrack, and, and mm-hmm. generally yeah. not amounting to much. And so he, he he wrote about that later, that he was very grateful that he had met men of very high standing, and mm-hmm. he wanted to be just like them. George well, with major one. Well, at this point, I mean, he's Jefferson's basically an orphan, right? No, his his mother lived thirty three. His okay. father died when he was fourteen. Yeah. Do you think that if his father had lived, that he would have been that he would have gone a different path? Well, that's interesting to speculate. His father was a surveyor. He was gone a lot. Mm-hmm. He owned a lot of property. Jefferson is the elder son would have been expected to inherit that property mm-hmm. and and manage it. 
you know, mm-hmm. which is a full-time job for most people. And But he, he was radicalized in Williamsburg. You know, he was just a boy. And yeah. he had a lot of radical ideas there, those ideas that we consider part of American culture right now, but they were quite, quite extreme for the day. Mm-hmm. And so, well, the, the very idea of breaking from the mother country was an extreme idea. For mm-hmm. one. How tumultuous was that environment in Williamsburg? Because the sentiment was maybe, I think in your book, you said almost an even split, 30% pro-monarchy, 30% with Jefferson and the revolutionaries, and 30% that may have been apathetic. <laughs> was it a dangerous place before the revolution? Well, this was what John Adams said of the country as a whole, that at the outbreak of war, 30% of Americans were for it, 30% were against, and 30% didn't mm-hmm. care one way or the other, or just taking care of their own business. In Virginia, there were Tories. In Norfolk, Virginia was a Tory town, and it was burned for that mm-hmm. because there, there was a lot of commerce between the coast and England. A lot of people mm-hmm. were making money with England. They didn't want that to stop. Williamsburg was a hotbed of uh, revolution. A lot mm-hmm. of the founding Virginia founding fathers met there. It, it was the crate, one of the cradles of, of the revolution. Those people who favored the crown, who wanted to stay loyal to the king, many of them left. A lot of them were professors at William and Mary. Mm-hmm. And when, when they left, it was a golden opportunity for reformers like Jefferson and With to mm-hmm. reform the, the college and turn it into the kind of university they wanted it to be, and not just a school for English preachers, Anglican mm-hmm. preachers. Yeah. And the caliber of the um, professors changed after that, and you got some real scholars in, including With. So some of the things about some more things about width that kind of speaks to our imagery of him is that, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't a particularly striking, look, good looking dude. You know, it wasn't really a great looking guy. Some of his political rivals, he felt like got over on him sometimes just because of natural appearance, but he was uh humble, you know, like when he would, when he was a judge, he wore black robes instead of some of the ornate robes, like the, English judge judges or other judges might wear and he kind of made that standard so that kind of comes from his character his personality but where did he stand on things like power is he quoted how he felt about relinquishing power or the, the peaceful transition of power type of thing <laughs> well obviously he he was very much opposed to the monarchy mm-hmm. um King George the Third, he right. he went out of his way to to compile a list of grievances for the Declaration of Independence of mm-hmm. all of the heinous uh, acts that had occurred through King George's military on our shores. Mm-hmm. And now, the as far as relinquishing power, of course, he would have approved heartily of the way George Washington handled his office, mm-hmm. leaving after voluntarily after two terms, right. mm-hmm. and. King George III, supposedly, I'm not sure this is true, said, well, if he does this, he's one of the greatest men who ever lived, if he mm. gave that position of power. But George Washington, George Washington was a colleague of Wythe. Wythe mm. was his private attorney. They were friends. And uh, he conferred. they conferred quite a lot uh, with each other. Mm-hmm. And so Washington was offered, well, 
I won't say he was offered because who was giving, who was doing the offering, but there was conversation that mm -hmm. uh, the people were so used to having a king as the leader, they, they just couldn't really, a lot of people accept the idea of a democracy. They thought the public would just run amok with that. Mm -hmm. They didn't trust the public. And so they wanted a strong man. And our strong man was George Washington. And a lot of people uh, thought that he would make a good um, king. king. But that was never formally put forth, but there was a right. lot of discussion about that formally. Thankfully, we had, you know, smart people like John Adams and others who mm -hmm. came up and James Madison who came up with our present form of government, which mm -hmm. has checks and balances on excessive power. I do have a question about the two-term law. Do you think that when Congress instituted the two-term presidency law or amendment not sure exactly what it's called. Do you think that was based on Washington's relinquishment after his second term? You think that's why they chose to? Well, I think he was the model for that. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, we, okay. You don't want one individual to have excessive power. Right. And there were many people who were uh, alarmed by the number of terms that Franklin Roosevelt had. Right. And so there was yeah, a lot of a lot of looking back to well, look at the way Washington handled that he mm. could easily have had a third term but he chose not to well I don't, right. I don't think it's a given Get, looking at our past president that 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 is something that that all presidents embrace <laughs> all, you know. so let's not talk about that that's, a, that's a, <laughs> we did an episode on that <laughs> right let's go ahead and take a mm -hmm. break here and for mm -hmm. our sponsor and then we'll come mm -hmm. back and talk to suzanne mm -hmm. munson a little bit more Talk a little bit. Let's, uh, let's continue. How about women's rights? Let's okay, okay, but mm -hmm. let's. Uh, that's, that they were not in the forefront at the time. Mm -hmm. Well, no, not, not at all. So he didn't really. But he had yeah. opinions. Okay, on it, right. Uh, there's uh, one of the reasons that he's a forgotten founding father is that there's a ver very little paper trail left that he left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most of what I wrote was what other people said about him. Mm -hmm. I, I have some letters that he wrote, but he, he did not, unfortunately, his college lectures were lost or destroyed. Mm -hmm. And were they destroyed they in the fire? No, they just, I think, just got lost along the way because he didn't have anybody, he didn't have any children, you know, who mm -hmm. would value mm -hmm. them and keep them yeah. safe. And yeah. everybody else was busy. Jefferson was supposed to keep them, but he was busy. Mm -hmm. And they just got lost. So, you, you would uh, think that no, I, and Mary would have been responsible for that, like the college library. Yeah, you would think, well, of course, he was such a modest man. He might have mm -hmm. thought, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe I would be arrogant if I said, do you want my notes? Because mm -hmm. um, he was followed by as professor right. or as dean by one of his own students right. who probably wanted to teach the classes his way. Yeah. So, but mm -hmm. it, that's a great tragedy that his lecture notes were lost. But there yeah. was a fire. The, there was a fire at the Wren building, right? And uh, Yes, uh, um, that destroyed his library, a good bit of his library. 
It was a great tragedy to him. Imagine, yeah, it had to be devastating. But let's talk a little bit more about the chronology. We talked about him as a young man. We talked about him in his role as a law professor, the dean of the College of William and Mary Law School. But then as the rebels started to uh, come into their own, they had the first Continental Congress, right? And he attended that. And was that held in Philadelphia? Yes. Okay. So what he had to do in order to attend this, and I believe his wife went with him on both trips. You might correct me on that one. But he had to give up, you know, he had to give up his work. He had to give up his classes. He had to give up, you know, shut down his house, leave his leave everything behind. And it was a, a massive mm-hmm. journey. It took like two weeks to get from Williamsburg to Philadelphia. But the point is these men were really giving up just about everything in order to put the wheels in motion for the revolution. So let's talk a little bit about both continental congresses that he attended. Yes. The, the signers of the declaration of independence, most all of them died poorer than uh, Mm. after the war than they were before the war, Mm. including George with, and he, uh, he served his country at great personal sacrifice, not just in the Continental Congress, but he was poorly paid as a professor and poorly paid as a judge. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like it is today when if you retire from public office, you have a nice fat retirement. But he had to pay all of his own expenses to go from Williamsburg to Philadelphia by coach and pay for his uh, accommodations there for a number of months, food, lodging, mm-hmm. and his wife did accompany him. And so, yes, it was, he invested and along with the other founding fathers, a good bit of his personal fortune, serving his country, serving mm-hmm. the higher, <clears throat> the good of the people. And he was, some of the delegates to the Continental Congress just kind mm-hmm. of played around in Philadelphia and didn't take their duties very as seriously as he did, but mm-hmm. he became friends with with John Adams and from Massachusetts, and they were the workhorses of the group. All the hard committee work was done by them and by men like them. Jefferson was away quite a lot. He was he didn't feel well. He had headaches, really bad headaches, and his wife was ill and so on. So he was not as active in the Continental Congress as Adams and Jeff as as Adams and With were. And Adams went on to resent that, uh, resented that Jefferson mm-hmm. ran away with all the glory of the Declaration of Independence, where you know he had been more of a show horse than a workhorse, mm-hmm. and. That rankled Adams because he, he had really worked hard. Yeah. But they Adams and With were put their shoulder to the grindstone and tried to support as in every way they could General Washington, who was getting his troops ready for war. Mm-hmm. And he needed equipment, he needed gunpowder, his troops needed shoes, they needed everything. And mm-hmm. there there was no taxation for the war. They had to beg for money from the colonies. And some of the colonies were slow in supporting the war. So it was a cliffhanger in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. uh, he made a difference in the Continental Congress. Now, there was part of what I did read about was the fact that he was not originally supposed to go, that he was not on the ballots. Was that for the Continental Congress or was that for something else? 
That was for the um, Virginia's ratifying convention of the oh, Constitution. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. That, that came later. That was 1788. Oh, okay. I was, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But so the, the Articles of Confederation was an inadequate document the young country. So how did that transpire where they took the, you know, that existing document and improved upon it to come up with the um, constitution? Well, they pretty much scrapped the articles of confederation because that was just a, a way, a loose okay. joining of, of the former colonies mm -hmm. and states so that they could do certain things in cooperation as a united country. But it was a loose organization and Almost a lot like a of the things of were not, not binding. And so the better minds in the country got together, James Madison, John Adams, on what should be the new governing body of the country. And they came up with two houses of Congress, a single executive, an independent judiciary, three independent branches of government, executive judicial and mm -hmm. legislative. And so all of that was written into the Constitution. Very acrimonious discussion took place behind closed doors in 1787, again in Philadelphia. And mm -hmm. the doors were closed because George Washington was in charge uh, just to keep order because it was a pretty rowdy gathering of, of opinionated people and everybody had their own idea about how the way things wanted to go. And so eventually in September, September 17th, 1787, the group mm -hmm. agreed on the form of government that they were going to propose to the American people. And that is the form of government that we have today. And so they, the constitution had to go around to the 13 states for ratification. Right. And um, 10 of the states had ratified before Virginia. But if Virginia had not um, ratified being the largest, richest, and most influential mm -hmm. state in the country, it really would have would have been practically worthless. Dead in the water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Virginia's boundaries extended all the way to the Mississippi. It was huge. Mm -hmm. And it was the thought leader at the time, you know, the founding fathers, Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, with, were, you know, they, they were the opinion molders. And so mm -hmm. as Virginia went, you know, so the other states probably would go. New mm -hmm. York was watching. North Carolina was watching. Rhode Island was watching. Mm -hmm. And so after Virginia ratified, and this was with strong support by George Wythe and with mm -hmm. votes of some of his former law students, the, the vote was in favor, but by a small number, mm -hmm. uh, 89 to 79. Wow. Yeah. And and the numbers in New York and, and the other states were even smaller by two mm. or three margin of two right. or three, which is very scary. So that's what you mean with the, your premise that one man can ha be that integral, that important to history is that that's that's that was the example you seem to hold up in the book of his importance to American history, his influence. Yes, that that's a big thing that he did. But he did any number of huge things that that have been buried. But another one of his great contributions is that he he modeled for America the ideal of the of the honorable public servant, mm -hmm. the person who was going to serve in government, not for his own greed and mm -hmm. uh, 
well-being, but for the good of the people. And George Wythe preached that to his students. And he had about 200, taught about 200 young men between 1779 and 1789. And they went on to become uh, part of the leadership of greater America, certainly Virginia. And Supreme Court justices, secretaries of state, attorneys general, presidents, vice presidents, and congressmen, senators, judges in very high positions. So he he taught all of them that they were, well, a lot of his young men came to his school just to earn a degree and have a profession and get out and make money. Mm -hmm. That was just the natural thing they wanted to do, but he held them captive. And he, and he wanted more of them. Number one, he wanted to give them more than just a legal education. He insisted that they have exposure more. to the humanities. And then number three, he, he, insist, he encouraged them very, very strongly to serve their state, their locality, and their nation as honorable public servants. And that legacy, I think, has I'm trying to bring it out now in my book mm-hmm. and in the talks that I give. So that we do give some credit for, at least in Virginia, we had for many generations after the founding fathers, we did have a reputation for more honorable service than, say, New mm-hmm. York City with Tammany Hall and all the horrible mm-hmm. things that went on up there. <laughs> we had none of that here in Virginia. We like to think it's because of the legacy of the founding fathers. The Virginia way, right? The Virginia way. Now, I have a bit of a question about the the education, because obviously, predominantly, the uh, the forefathers were trained in law. And part of that is obviously because of George With. So my question is, I mean, not all, a lot of people who go into government now are lawyers, but a lot of them are more poli-sci. So how do you think he would feel about that separation like political sciences versus the law as a background moving into government and service. Oh, yes. Well, oh, he would, would have felt very strongly about uh, having, first of all, a very good grounding, not just in current law, but in ancient law. He went all the way back to uh, Roman uh, law and Greek law and so on. And, <laughs> ancient English law back to the Magna Carta, he would make sure that first and foremost, his lawyers were going to be good lawyers. Mm -hmm. Lawyers had a terrible reputation up until his time. Mm -hmm. They were very poorly educated. Well, but secondly, he wanted them to have an education in government. And he mm -hmm. taught them about the Roman Republic and the Greek democracy and how England had been striving to have something of democracy, although they never really had a full democracy. But he would would hold the formation of the best government for for mankind as 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 a high goal, as a high learning goal for a mm-hmm. student. And he wanted them to be well schooled in the humanities, in literature, in history. He's a big believer in knowing mm-hmm. history. So he wanted them definitely to be well-rounded leaders. To be a leader, you should be very well-educated and not just in one narrow field. Mm-hmm. Well, do you know how long a student of his would, you said in a sense, he kind of almost held them hostage. Do you know how long a student would have matriculated with him? Any question? Four um, years or? <laughs> I mean, what? Well, what Jefferson 
mm-hmm. was his home school. Right, right. Uh, and he studied under him for five years. But the mm-hmm. reason for that was that Jefferson was back and forth between Charlottesville and Richmond a lot. Mm-hmm. And he studied at home. Now, the education of the young men in Williamsburg, I'm not really sure about that. It would mm-hmm. certainly be a number of months mm-hmm. and until with felt that they had been properly educated. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you brought up early earlier the point that he was murdered by his nephew. Was it his nephew? Yeah. His great, great nephew. Yes. Uh-huh. Nephew. So mm-hmm. the, that alone is. Uh, I have a question. Would that have been the grandson of the uncle who did not give him much guidance? Do you know? No, I think it was his sister's um, grandson. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's a sad kind of a ironic footnote to history yeah. right there. Yes. Very sad. Yeah. And, you know, he gave so much and then, but you said that the, uh, the culprit later was arrested for horse thievery and sort of circuitously ended up in prison ended up in trouble right well that that was speculation about that he sort of disappeared and some people said he went to tennessee and became a horse thief but he he was never he was tried he was not really tried for the murder i think he was tried Mm. for forging checks and things like that Mm. but i don't think his uncle really wanted him to be tried for murder Mm. it was a stain Mm. on the family and the the trial was really a a miscarriage of justice because everybody knew that he had done the deed, but Mm -hmm. he got off because all of the witnesses were people of color and they could not testify against a white person in court. Right. Mm -hmm. And also the doctors in 1806 didn't know how to do autopsies and they kind of misdiagnosed the, what they saw when they opened up his stomach, it was clearly Mm -hmm. inflamed, but they thought it could have been due to some other causes. Right. So, uh, yeah, so he eventually uh, disappeared from Richmond. We're not quite sure what happened to him. Some mm-hmm. people say he became a horse thief, but he was de- definitely on, on, not on the right path. Let's put it that way. Right. So he might have ended up in a river with some cement shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know. We don't know about but... the fellow. Just yeah. don't know about him. Yeah. Well, I want to keep you too mm-hmm. long, but I did want to mention your other book, The Metaphysical Jefferson, which uh, I also was had an mm-hmm. opportunity to read. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Well, I think uh, we can mention the other book yeah. if mm-hmm. you want. It, it's called The Metaphysical Thomas Jefferson, uh, A Medium Panels the Founding Father. I had to put that on the cover so people knew what they were getting into when they bought the book. Right. right. And so I had had some friends who had had successful experiences accessing their departed family and friends through a medium. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if you could connect successfully with normal people, why not somebody famous? Why not Thomas Jefferson? Because mm-hmm. I'd already written about him in this first book. Mm-hmm. So I engaged a well-respected medium. She lives in Indiana and I live in Virginia. We conducted our sessions by phone. Mm-hmm. I gave her no advanced notice that I wanted to talk to Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And so the way it worked was that I would have an hour each session. She would call right on the dot. Mm-hmm. I would put my phone on speaker. I'd get on my laptop. I would ask questions. Before I embarked on this, I sent word out to as many Jefferson scholars as I could locate. Mm-hmm. 
not telling them the the nature, the real nature of my quest. But I said I was working on a class project, having taught some Jefferson history at the university level. Mm-hmm. And the the project was about this. If, if you could talk to Thomas Jefferson, what questions would you ask? And so eight historians were kind enough to respond to me <laughs> and give me a number of excellent questions. And I added some of my own. And so over eight one-hour sessions, I asked the questions and the medium. I never heard Jeff, the entity presenting as Jefferson. I never heard mm. heard what he sounded like. Mm. But she could listen to that conversation and then would tell me what she was hearing. So there's only three ways to look at the book. Number one, I wrote it. Number mm-hmm. two, the medium made it all up. Number three, mm-hmm. we are actually mm. hearing from an entity from the other side presenting as Jefferson. So number one, it, I have the recordings and they're mm-hmm. available to anyone. And it's very clear I'm the one asking the questions. I'm not making up the answers. Mm-hmm. Number number two, the medium is excellent in what she does, but mm-hmm. she doesn't like history. She majored in elementary education, always hated history as a subject, knew very little about Jefferson. Mm-hmm. So that leaves kind of number three hanging out there, number three mm-hmm. option. We are hearing from someone who was presenting as Thomas Jefferson. Right. Mm-hmm. The one, one most interesting thing that off the top of my head was that at some point, Sally Hemings, his mistress um, and mistress companions appeared. You, it was, it was palpable. You could tell from your, you know, from your retelling of the channeling that he seemed uneasy that her presence and the things she had to say to him actually made him uneasy. So can you tell us a little bit about what that was about? Yes. I have um, a chapter on slavery mm-hmm. uh, and I'll get to that in just a second, but I have, we covered a wide range of subjects, his views on our government today mm-hmm. as it has evolved since the time of the founding fathers. He's mm-hmm. not happy. We covered religion. We covered foreign policy, use of the military, mm-hmm. higher education, his comments about other founding fathers. Mm-hmm. And so I had to have a, a, a chapter on race relations and slavery. Nobody would ever let me get by with, you know, putting the book out without right. getting into that. And so in recent years, Jefferson's wonderful legacy, all of the great things he did for America, Those things have been more or less eclipsed in the minds of a lot of people because he was a slave owner, because he Mm -hmm. he felt he couldn't release his slaves. And I go into the traditional reasons that he felt that he couldn't do that, and they were mostly Mm -hmm. financial. He was not a wealthy man when he died, or his last 20 years he was in debt Mm -hmm. all the time. Now, George Washington was a very wealthy man, and he could afford to free his slaves, and he Mm -hmm. did so after his wife died. Because he had a lot of other enterprises that were making money, but Mm -hmm. um, he could afford to do that. Jefferson felt that he couldn't. I mean, he should have because he was always on the defensive about being the author of the Declaration of Independence and not freeing the slaves. Mm -hmm. And he acknowledges today, yeah, certainly should have done that. And if he were born today, he'd have an entirely different point of view, not only about slavery, but about people of color and also about women. And so I had to ask about Sally Hemings, who was said to be his slave mistress. Mm-hmm. One thing I do want to make clear is that his wife had died some years before mm-hmm. that, and he wasn't cheating on his wife. I think we should make that clear. 
And I've never heard any, let me just intersperse here, even with my very limited public school, American public school education, that was, that was even made clear to us that, that she was after his wife died. That's right. Yeah. And um, sorry. His wife also, what's not well known is that his wife had endured stepmothers and she did not want her children to be brought up under a stepmother. Uh And she asked on her death, asked Jefferson to promise that he would not remarry. Mm. And he did. And he remained single for the rest of his life. Mm. So he was a young man, only 39 when she died. And naturally he, he was a man. And so Mm -hmm. he, but the relationship with Sally Hemings has always been a matter of speculation, whether he coerced her, whether he raped Mm. her, whether Mm. she was willing participant or not. And so the relationship did come out in in this reading. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really want to talk about it at first. I had to pinpoint, you know, had to really nail him down on it. Yeah. And he said that he, he had gone over that relationship in his mind ad nauseum mm-hmm. and didn't really care to rehash it anymore. So I couldn't mm-hmm. let him get by with that. And so we were talking about it. And I said, did you have any children with Sally Hemmings? And mm-hmm. he said, well, there was a physical attraction. It was easy to seed her was his, mm-hmm. what, the term that oh, he yes. used. Which so anyway, I was just going, DNA wise. Yeah, going along um, mm-hmm. this way and not expecting anything different. Right. But then the medium said, there's a woman who's trying to enter this conversation. Could she be a slave woman? Could she have mm-hmm. been a slave woman? And I said, well, possibly we're talking about a slave woman, Sally Hemings. She didn't, the medium didn't know anything about Sally Hemings. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she said, yes, this woman wants to say something. Mm -hmm. And so I was quite surprised, you know, I had not planned this, anticipated it. Yeah. And so she said that, yes, she was very resentful during her life that they had had a very close personal relationship. He had respected her a great deal and he respects her a great deal now in their Mm -hmm. spirit form on the other side, but he could never acknowledge her publicly Mm. because of his public persona. And she was, she said she was very resentful about that. Mm -hmm. But now that she had been in spirit for a long time, she realizes that she did make a difference from her time in the flesh Mm. and she has no animosities anymore for that time because she did make a difference. And she certainly did because the whole issue of slavery was kind of ignored up at Monticello for a number of years until just recent decades. Yeah. And so her, her story is being told and the story of her children mm-hmm. is being told at Monticello and, yeah. and she's making a, a difference. The story of the slaves is a big story up there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Quite a, <laughs> quite a and, journey. And <laughs> really? <clears throat> excuse me. When it comes to an owner versus slave situation, at least initially, it's one of those situations, it's like almost the ultimate me too, in that whether or not it came across as rape, it in a sense is because the slave really has no choice. That's correct. Yeah. So in that respect, yeah, yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you can choose not to lay down on the casting couch to a certain extent, but a slave really couldn't choose whether she fought or not, whether he thought of it as rape or not. It really kind of had to have been. Yes. Although after a while, he, right. 
develop a, a deep love for her. Right. She was his wife's half sister. They had the same father. Oh, okay. And she was, she had a white grandfather too. She was three quarters white. Mm-hmm. And also she had, even though I'm sure she wasn't formally educated, she had, you know, been around the children who were educated. She, she mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm sure she had acquired a number of graces that made her attractive. Now we, we do each have, yeah, some th- there were some things that Philip brought up that you didn't want to discuss. Like for instance, you didn't want to bring in anything negative. There was a rivalry just so everyone knows with Pendleton. So we, you know, but is there, oh, well, any- that was, that was sort of a, a minor yeah. thing. A, not, not a big thing in his career. It was a minor. Well, it was a huge irritation for George with, he uh, mm-hmm. had a rivalry with another lawyer who was, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, very smooth talking and very handsome and but the thing uh, tended said, to get his way when with felt that that his way was more correct in mm-hmm. court but you did mention that it were, there were occasions when uh pendleton would overrule on something that with had gone a different way with yeah. that's right yeah i don't know he seemed to take pleasure he was appointed to a higher court after a mm-hmm. while from with, and he seemed to take pleasure in overturning with rulings. Okay. And so with resented that very, very much. Yeah. And, it, and then when, I think when uh, Pendleton passed away, there was something on his desk that he had overturned one final ruling. Yes. <laughs> he, like he, <laughs> yeah. See, there was a very important case and he was going to, rule in a way that that with did not want him to rule it had to do with mm-hmm. separation of church and state and with was was correct and so luckily yeah. uh, pendleton died before he was able to overrule uh, right. well see if oliver stone got hold of that that would be the central point of the whole movie <laughs> <laughs> it would be that battle between well, hopefully uh, they will treat it in a different way right right yeah. Well, I just I I put that it, in there. You know, yeah. I wanted to show that with, you know, he was a human being, you know, he, right, he right. had his, he had his little foibles mm-hmm. and he had, you know, people who were jealous of him or who mm-hmm. decided they didn't like him for one reason or another, but by yeah, and large, he, he was, was, respected. was highly, highly liked, highly regarded by and large. Right. Okay. Now at the end of every podcast, other than the fact that I didn't figure out a way to work in um, Weird Al Yankovic, <laughs> who shares my did. birthday? Haha, <laughs> <laughs> I did it. Yeah. But it's just a little thing that we that I do. Is there? A, my end question is: Is there anything that we did not ask that you think we that you normally expect people to touch on, or that you think should be touched on? I think we touched on 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 most of the major issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what I'd like to leave people with is the idea of the power of one the ability of just one individual to change the course of history for the better. Yep. And, and when we read history, we most mostly read about the bad guys, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the people who caused the movers, wars, the shakers, the ones who yeah. make the news. Yeah, oh. Yes. The mm-hmm. Hitlers and the Stalins and mm-hmm. uh, those people, the neighbor, the Caligulas. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so maybe history isn't made by those behind the scenes, Mm-hmm. It is made, but it's not written about. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually the victors are the ones who, who do the writing. And he was a modest man and he didn't write about himself, but he was mm-hmm. highly praised, you know, for what he did in his day. But right, right. a lot of what he did has been forgotten. So mm-hmm. I, my main goal was to talk about the power of one, that this was one individual who 
really helped get America off to the right start in so many different ways with the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, Mm -hmm. his power as a teacher, his power as a judge. He tried to overturn slavery as a judge. Wasn't successful, but he tried. And all all of the good work that he did to get this great nation off to the right start. And that's the most important. Now, I didn't actually get to read the entire book, which I explained to you before we started the podcast. But I do have one last question just for you, because... The way Philip explained everything to me and from some of the stuff that I garnered from looking into some of the other media sources and uh, listening to podcasts that you've done with other um, people and reading your essays about Dr. or about about George With, if they were, and I think that they should make a movie about George With. How, I mean, how excited would you be? I, I, mean, I would love would it. If, that? I would love it if Ken mm-hmm. Burns would do it. I would only want yeah. Ken Burns to do it. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. he, he could and, do it properly. And have you cast it? Well, if it's Ken Burns, it would be voice only. Well, I need no, no. somebody. I need somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. And I don't mm-hmm. know those people. But <laughs> I'd, I'd love to have an entree to, to him. Now, to I, me, there's this, this show called Scrubs. Did you ever watch Scrubs? Okay. Well, there's this TV show called Scrubs. And there's a gentleman who played a janitor on the show. And he's integral to the whole show all the way through. And he's such a good actor. And he's in a respected voiceover actor as well as just acting in general. And I think that I can't remember what his name is right now, but I really kind of see him in this role. So if you take a look at Scrubs and just look at his image, knowing that he's an excellent actor and see what you, you know, see if you, what you think about that, but, (laughs) you know, just a nod, but yeah. And I think Ken Burns could write, maybe he could write the adaptation and then somebody else could, he could approve the screenplay. Well, I love Ken Burns. I would, I would love Ken Burns. Just straight right. up Ken Burns. Right. Well, you'd want him to just Ken Burns it. Yeah. Ken, Bur- <laughs> Ken yeah. Burns it. You know, yeah. right. 35 hours later. <laughs> All right, Suzanne. Um, and, he, would, uh, he would do it justice. He would do it justice. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he would. And Philip's last question, is there anything that you would like to advertise? We do know that you are currently working on a new book. Well, that probably won't be out for a while yet, but mm-hmm. I would like to repeat the titles of the two books that we discussed. Mm-hmm. The first, mm-hmm. the with biography is called Jefferson's Godfather by Suzanne Munson. It's on Amazon and um, mm-hmm. paperback, Kindle and hardback. That's where and we then the, the metaphysical Thomas Jefferson, the new book where the medium channels Jefferson mm-hmm. is also on Amazon in hardback, Kindle and paperback. And so I would encourage people to read those books and they're interesting. Even if you don't believe in mediumship, I think you'll find mm-hmm. that the comments that Jefferson so makes are to be of value. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed I really enjoyed it. I hope we mm-hmm. hung in there with you well enough. I felt like maybe we were a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, over our skis at points, but it was a privilege to have you on. Really enjoyed well, it. Well, I enjoyed it very much and I thank you for, for having me. Thank yeah. you. you. Have a good thanks evening. Thanks a lot. And have a have a good night. You, you too. too. Bye. Okay. Thanks again. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.
Hey, listeners, it's Lisa and Phil from Yeah, Uh Uh-huh. How are we doing? We love feedback. Please use our socials to let us know what you think. We have socials. Twitter. Yeah, uh uh-huh pod. Instagram. Yeah, uh uh-huh pod. Facebook. Yeah, uh uh-huh pod. Notice Notice a pattern. pattern. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week.